We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know. And sometimes, the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Ooh, Don Palumbo. Jonah Lanto. I like it when you say that. The whole thing. Oh, Every like time. what your name? Like what do you like what? You just yeah. That whole thing. The whole thing. Yeah. Yep. It's uh it's it it gives you, me Jonah bumps almost yeah. every time. You get me entranced up here. Yeah. Good. That's that's my plan. Well, thank you to everyone for being with us this evening at our biggest show yet. And it is all in part uh, because of Roosevelt Park Zoo, and that is who we are here to celebrate tonight. So a, a big thanks to them for asking us to be here this evening. Yeah, it shout sounds, out to RP Zoo. Yeah, it sounds like uh, or RPZ, as they call in the business, I think, maybe. Uh, a big shout out to them. And this is my own shameless plug for them. Uh, you know, they are an AZA accredited zoo and, and conservation is of the utmost importance. And so you'll always hear that, um, you know, people will say, I don't like zoos. I don't like what they do to the animals there. This is by far the most amazing place. And that's not how it is. It's conservation. It's not, you know, locking animals in a, in a cage. And you can see the, uh, the Severson Ahart African lion savanna behind us, the lion's den. That is, I mean, it's evident the the amount of care and um, just love that they have for the animals here. So again, they did not pay me to say that. That's just my own my own mushy heart. The presence so, of compassion yeah, is yeah. obvious at this yeah, zoo for yeah. sure. I really, really love this place. So for those of you that aren't here to paint the setting, we are in We've front. Got a lion's den behind us. We, we got a lion's den, and uh, I'm not sure if if Kyoto's back there, but um, he was earlier. So it's it's cool. All right. Thank you um, to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. We are so incredibly grateful for the comments, the feedback, even the negative stuff. It's it, it helps us look a little bit uh, inwardly. Um, sometimes it brings us some some joy, but some laughs. Yeah, it's it's okay to get tuned up every <laughs> once in a while, I it suppose. Is. Yeah, but uh, we appreciate that support that we've received from all of our listeners, good and bad. Again, truly appreciate it. So, Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest Murder? Yeah, thanks again take, for taking the time to review us on iTunes and Spotify. This one is from Meg Stahl. Outstanding. I can't get enough. Thank you, Jonah, Don, and the Midwest Murder crew for dedicating your time to these must-hear stories. You're giving the victims a voice. I love it all so much. Heart exclamation point emoji. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, that's kind of nice. And, thanks, and Meg to, Stahl. To hear that, um, that we give vic- victims a voice, Like that's, I think, one of my main goals in, in doing this. So that's, C- that's huge. Certainly a point of emphasis uh, throughout your wanting to do this. And yeah, it's, for it's sure. a big deal. Yep. And, yep. Uh, this one is from Midwest Mickey. Oh, sorry to other true crime podcasts. As a true crime fanatic and a proud Midwesterner from North Dakota, I immediately started listening to your podcast as soon as I could hear about it. Now I truly cannot stop listening 
and look forward to every new episode to keep me occupied during the many long drives to work and back. You guys do such an amazing job engaging with both the live audience and the ones listening from home. Overall, your goofy banter, attention to detail, and the immense amount of respect you have for the victims are what makes this podcast great and a lot less boring than other true crime podcasts. Really can't wait to make it to one of your live shows. Awesome job. Well, Midwest Mickey, are you out there right now? Thank you. Are you out there? No, that, okay, that happened not a couple, That happened a couple episodes yeah. ago. It was for the first time, and we're we're about to hit a milestone episode, and that happened for the first time. And thank goodness it wasn't a, like a shit talking one because that would have made things really really awkward because we called it out. So, yeah, how about that? Yeah, thanks for yeah. that. And, and again, thanks to everyone who takes the time to do that. It really it's means huge. a lot to and, us. And it, it not only does it, it means mean, a lot to people who might want to listen to us too, right? And not only is it, it's not just for you know so we can inflate our egos. That is that is not what it's it's for. Uh, it, it does amazing things for us, and it really helps us move us along in the charts, which. I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but we were we were trending at 56 in the nation uh, last last that's year crazy. or last week last week not <laughs> last year so cool. last week so um, so that's what that's what those things do for us and and we we really 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 appreciate it so all right this episode is sponsored and those of you in the crowd you if you if you know you know and I'm sure you all know shots crossroads in mine of North Dakota Jonah get, get your ranch ready yeah. It is. It's delicious. Yeah. Um, if you need some good stuff, check out yeah. shots. Yeah. If you're in the area, you know that you're going to leave well fed. If you're just passing through, let us remind you that they have big portions and always competitive prices. Even when you're getting a tank of gas, they usually have a lower price per gallon than the surrounding stores. And this is the best part. They offer, if you get out of your car and go pay cash, they offer an additional seven cents off per gallon, which I mean... Who doesn't well, want to save seven cents? And I like the seven percent saving. I'm going to diverge a little bit on the opinion that that's the best part because I just can't help but think the best part about shots is the ranch, is the pies, is the crispy French fries in the chicken strips. Do you, do you, you know guys the banana remember, cream pie? You, I know we're splitting hairs here. We are. Geez, we are. Louise, it's do you so guys good. remember when they when they did away with the crinkle fries? Do you guys remember that? Anybody remember that? And they actually had to take out an ad on the radio and say our fries are back. Yeah, it was a yeah. big deal. Like that matters. Yeah. It was so, a big deal. So yeah. yeah, the big portions, the consistency, their deli is always ready in the gas station there. I think that's important. If you're just looking to cruise by in the morning on your way to work or on your way home, you need something hot and fresh. They got it for you there in the deli. Yeah, it's cool. You can also buy us a hot dish now at buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest Murder. You can support the show, same place. And uh, Jonah, what does a hot dish do for us? It's hot. not just for us to, you know, eat. Yeah, no, we party and have a good time with all of that oh, for okay. sure. And, and by partying, partying, he means getting uh, crime documents, case yeah. files, those types of things. Yes, because, that stuff isn't because, free, folks. Because we know how to party. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We, we, that that helps a, a big deal. Tell our friends here where they can find our. You can merch. find some merch. I've seen some cool T-shirts out there in the audience tonight. Super we appreciate cool. that. It's tpublic.com/store/midwestmurder. Even easier. Go to our social media on Facebook, and there's a link right there that'll take you to all the uh, wonderful, weird, and funny things that we have. Yes. Let's That's get into it. Yeah. All right. Are we ready? The year was 1979. Jimmy Carter was president. A barrel of oil, ready for this, hit the price of $24. Ooh. It's a little different these days. Michael Jackson's first solo album, Off the Wall, was released. ESPN launched. We saw Jupiter's Rings for the first time. Okay. So if you're a space nerd, that's pretty cool. Uh, Margaret Thatcher was elected as prime minister in the UK. 
This one kind of blew my mind. The Sony Walkman was introduced at the tune of $200, $200. And in today's money, that's $816. Can you imagine paying $816 for a Walkman? That I, I love it. Yeah. And if you can find a tape, my gosh, it was the year for Pittsburgh in sports news, Super Bowl 13. And I'd like to point out in the past, in the most, in the more recent years, I have trouble with Roman numerals. That one was easy. Yeah, it was an X and three ones. It was great. Three eyes. So Super Bowl 13, the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Cowboys. And in MLB news, the Pirates won the World Series. And in the NHL, the Montreal Canadiens defeated the New York Rangers. So go Habs, I guess, that year. 1979. Don't bring back the $200 Walkmans, please. (laughs) No. Can we just agree that we'll just... Like, I don't even think they call them MP3 files anymore. That's how old I am. So just let's just agree to stop wherever we are right now. When a child doesn't have all of the answers to their childhood, it can lead to a lifetime of questioning where they came from, their relationships with other people, their relationship with themselves, even their entire existence. And it was no different for the child of Jeffrey Hamill. Questions about her biological parents, which should have brought explanations and resolutions, only brought more unanswered questions. Being told her father died in an accident would only be the tip of the iceberg and is what brought this case back to the forefront of the cold cases in Minnesota. Jeffrey Hamill was a machinist. He was 21 and from the small town of Buffalo, Minnesota. That's like 45 minutes from the cities. We all know, right? That's the point of reference I was looking for. (laughs) I I kind of figured so. In a relationship with Vicki James, they had a baby girl and Vicki was pregnant with their second child. The evening of August 10th, 1979, when Jeffrey Hamill went out and met new friends, was unseasonably cooler than usual. It was like 75 degrees that day in August, which I would really be appreciative of a 75 degree day right now. But at what was then the Country West Bar in Rockford, Minnesota, Jeffrey met three other fellas just out for an evening, one of whom was a co-worker of his, Dale Todd, and then two of Dale Todd's friends, Terry Olson and Ronald Michaels. After hanging out at the bar until close... They ended the bar scene for the evening, and the trio went to a house party at Terry Olson's sister's house in Montrose, Minnesota, just 15 minutes up the road. And this is going to piss the banter haters off, but if you can you please raise your hand? I don't typically do this in the middle of a live show, but will you raise your hand if you have seen Drop Dead Gorgeous? Okay, so when I said Montrose, Minnesota... Who didn't say it in the voice from the movie, right? It was like, it's, it's awful. So please go watch that movie and then come back. Okay. Sorry. It was just, uh, and that was just 15 minutes up the road. The early morning party changed at about 2 a.m. when the casual hang came to blows between Jeffrey and Terry Olson. And they came there as friends. Yeah. Then they're yep. fighting. Yeah. All right. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, at that point, wanted to ride home, but according to witness accounts, nobody wanted to leave. And he was a newcomer to the party, so of course nobody's going to leave. You know, at that point, you're taking sides. So he left the party on foot and beginning the eight-mile walk back home to Buffalo on Highway 12. It was later that morning, just two hours after he allegedly left the party, police found the severely beaten body of 21-year-old Jeffrey Hamill on his back on the side of Highway 12. His hair was soaked with blood, a river of blood leading to a large puddle just a few feet away. There was a gaping hole on the back of his head on the left side, a large contusion above his right eye, numerous scalp abrasions, His right earlobe was split and was hit so hard on that side that part of his ear was detached from his scalp. The autopsy would show that there were multiple areas of hemorrhaging on his brain as well as a fractured skull. Unsurprisingly, the cause of death was traumatic head injuries, or in more technical terms, 
Basilar skull fracture with extensive brain damage. The death was listed as undetermined. So no, mur- no murder, no... I mean, it was just undetermined. Undetermined. Yep. Come on. The uh, original... Well, I mean... You don't know how this person died, but to just... Uh, can, can you not say potential homicide? Uh, can you not list a, a suspicion? Just, oh, under, we don't know how this happened. Well, get this. The original notice in the Star Tribune stated that he, quote, he apparently was struck by a vehicle along County Road 12, four miles south of Buffalo. That was in the paper. That sounds really casual. Oh. Well, casual and, and again, it was 1979. So we, you know, put yourself in that time. We weren't born yet, but put yourself there. And uh, I I did. You said Michael Jackson was probably playing on the radio of that truck that ran him over. Or did it it run him over? We don't know. So the examination of the crime scene showed no weapons, no footprints or anything else that could indicate what led to Jeffrey's death. When deputies arrived at the Hamill household to deliver the death notification, his father thought to himself, quote, what did he do now? And of course, the news deputies delivered that night was obviously never expected. Sadly, the murder also tore apart the young family that Jeffrey was building with Vicki James. Once their baby was born, Vicki gave the two children, their one-year-old daughter and infant son, up for adoption and relocated to Arkansas. Oh, man. Police conducted numerous interviews, and that's essentially how they pieced together what they believed to have happened. Among those interviews was Bardo and Jennifer Kilgo. And in the wee hours of August 11th, 1979, the two had driven down the same Highway 12. They told police they had seen, according to court documents, quote, four or five men in or around a dark colored car that appeared to be a Chevrolet Impala. But it was too dark for them to identify any of the men. They didn't stop by the vehicle in which in the early morning hours, who would? I, yeah, right? I can't. I'm not going Un- to. Unless somebody appears to be outwardly in super obvious danger. I just don't imagine I'm stopping my car in the dark and hopping out. That that would no way. I, well, I'm not going to. I'm especially at, at two, at, at two, three, four a.m. Um, I'm pretty sure I've said before. You know, the, the only uh, the only thing open after midnight are legs in hospitals. So I'm sure is shit not going to stop on the county road and be like, hey, can I help? No, no shit no, way. In no. fact, I mean, as, as a woman, we're told not to. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, so. Nor, nor should you. Right. Exactly. So. And I, you know, I have to, I have to wonder, I, and I don't know, obviously, that they can be faulted for that. And, and even though I'm guessing there are many people in, involved in this case that would probably wonder what would have happened if had they stopped, if they had stopped. Well, maybe they would have gotten killed too, or whatever happened to well, who knows him. Yeah. Okay. So interestingly enough, Dale Todd, Jeffrey's coworker, drove a dark colored Impala. And that is what, according to court documents, they saw. Okay. So police then searched it. And upon searching it, they, uh, police did not find anything that would link any of the three to the killing. So nothing was found. And then other leads that police had proved, or that, that they had, proved to lead them absolutely nowhere. So even with the apparent severe beating of Jeffrey Hamill and eyewitness accounts, the case went cold. Sort of eyewitness accounts, but not of the potentially actual event. And you've got no blood at that point. DNA right. doesn't exist. Forensics are pretty rudimentary in 1979. So right. Well, and, and somebody dies and you're, you know, in the paper the next day, you're saying that, oh yeah, somebody hit him. 
right? I mean, yeah. so it's it's a different time, obviously. In in well, it's a young person, they're looking at a situation f- potentially fueled by alcohol. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So thanks to the questions and the perseverance of Jeffrey's biological daughter, the Wright County Sheriff's Department reopened or rather refocused on the case. This is 24 years later. Wow. So it's a long because time. Because of his daughter. Because of his daughter. So she started asking questions about her birth parents and they that she was she was just told at that point that her dad was killed in an accident. And so she kept asking questions and this is where that's where it brought her. When at the Wright County Sheriff's Department, uh, they decided to reopen or rather refocus on the case. And investigators in the case began scouring information, beginning with the crime scene and the lack of evidence found. When discussing the case with the deputies on scene the night of Jeffrey's death, former Chief Deputy Jim Powers, who was one of the first people of law enforcement on scene, he brought up things that just didn't quite make sense to him. So according to him, it seemed like Jeffrey died quickly. There wasn't any blood on his shirt and none on his hands. So he didn't think that he was, you know, uh, defending himself in any way, right? Otherwise there would be, there would be blood on his hands. There would be maybe some defensive wounds. Okay. And potentially if you were struck by a vehicle so forcibly, it could be an instant kill. So perhaps that even makes more sense in line with the original theory. Sure. Yep. And so I think uh, what what I'm getting is, is even, even then the, the chief deputy, the former chief deputy, so uh, upon re-interviewing him and everything. Yeah. He, He's like, no, that still happened. There was, there was nothing, nothing defensive about it. No blood on his shirt, none on his hands, no defensive wounds whatsoever no. that none. they could tell. Yep. So it was, it, so clearly it was still his belief that it was a hit and run with a vehicle. And this is his, his belief then it was a hit and run with a vehicle that was hauling a large piece of equipment. And I, I'm honestly not sure how I, how, how I feel about it, but so, so think about it though. They don't have any, they don't have any, uh, interviews nothing has really come forward or come forth about the, um, well, I know, and, and, you know, the, the, the Chevy Impala, nothing. Sure. And right? you have an intoxicated man who is found dead on uh, near a highway. And so it, right. it, and, it's and not unsensible in his part. No. And the, and the majority of us, I mean, or a good portion of us, uh, or I'll say people, I'm not going to implicate myself, have, have been intoxicated and be like, ah, forget it. I'll just walk home. Right. And, you know, you're walking on the side of the road and if there's a piece of, uh, if there's a pickup hauling, you know, farm equipment at 3 a.m., I mean, maybe it happens, you know, you're driving along and boom, I mean, you, you hit a guy and you don't even know it potentially. So I, I think that is what is, is it, it, this, this chief deputy or former chief deputy is, is claiming again. I mean, I weighed back and forth. I'm like, is this, I don't know. Does this make sense? Does it not make sense? I guess it could go either way. It could go either way. And I just want to give a a profound shout out to his daughter for 20 years that wanted the answers to what happened to her father. And I just can't get over how powerful that is. Right. It's just riveted at that aspect that she was able to, after so long, a lifetime of wondering what happened to your dad for real and not having that answer and getting it. I mean, kind of, kind of going back, you know, if, as, you know, if, if you have any childhood trauma that kind of affects, uh, whether it be, you know, adoption and not calling trauma, a, uh, adoption trauma, but, um, you have anything that, that really shakes up your childhood that you don't have all the answers to. I mean, yeah, you're going to ask yourself some questions and you're going to start asking questions. And she didn't, she didn't let up. 
you know, she took it all the way. And then once she was finding out these answers it, that, that she didn't really like, she, she took she it even further. She found a thread and she pulled yeah. at it and I'm yep. and went excited to, to see what happened. Yeah. Went to the sheriff's department and everything. So in 2005, so again, this happened in 20, in, in 1979. 26 so years. 26 years. Quarter of a century. Whoa. Good job. We did, we, we did a math here. You did a math. We did it for everybody. Yeah. We, uh, we, you know, for those of you who have never heard us before, we call this Midwest murder. It's not Midwest math. So the fact that he just rattled that off. Man, I'm, I'm impressed, actually. It's one of the unwritten rules of the show is that there is no math. There's no math. Yeah. yeah. So in 2005, 26 years later, thanks to this guy, they started re-interviewing witnesses and persons of interest. They got their first big breakthrough. As investigators from the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, or BCA, began re-interviewing people, they got to one of the people, the, the persons that was with Jeffrey Hamill that night, Dale Todd. Remember, he was the coworker. Right. At first, Todd's story didn't change much from a quarter of a century earlier. For hours during the interview, he maintained the same story, that Terry Olson, Ronald Michaels, and he himself did not have anything to do with the death of Jeffrey Hamill. Investigators told him that they believed him, or that they didn't believe him, and suggested that the three were possibly drunk or stoned and then hurt Jeff. Todd said, quote, I never touched the guy. I was not that drunk or I would have known if I was hurting somebody. No, I didn't touch Jeff. Investigators reminded Todd that a vehicle similar to this or to his was seen on highway 12 that night. They told him that they found a baseball bat in his trunk and that bat had blood and hair on it. Todd repeated over and over that he was scared. And about two hours in, he said, quote, I'm thinking that I'm being trapped into something that I didn't do. Okay, and this is very new information about the bat with blood and hair. Right. It's a head scratcher, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you picked up on that. Are, are they it's like are they just fucking with him at that point or do they really find that? I You know what? It's interesting that you bring that up. I'd like to get into that, but I think we'll wait. Okay. Okay. Did that did that sound staged? I promise it wasn't. <laughs> I just I made it awkward. Yeah. So anyway, so he again, he said, quote, I'm thinking that I'm being trapped into something that I didn't do. And this is two hours into the two hours into the, the interview. So an, an investigator in the room asked Todd why he speaks fluidly when he tells the truth, but he bounces around when things in his story get foggy. Todd responded, quote, because I don't think I was there. Oh, all right. I mean, that yeah, makes I mean, sense. I've, I've thought I wasn't places before. I never really right. knew. Right. And I, I thought about not being places once. So I, I can uh, I can imagine how those details to a place that you've not been. Yeah. were foggy. For sure. Right. The investigator said, quote, another reason is you're not telling the truth. OK, well, I oh. think that he wasn't that drunk, so he would know if he was telling the truth or not or hurting somebody or if he was. Well, there. he was claiming that he wasn't that drunk. Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't actually know. I mean, they'd been drinking all night and who knows? I mean, he, was, he was driving, but again, it was 1979 where, you know, if you were pulled over, they're like, ah, just get home safely. Yeah. You know, copping was different then. Old, I mean, it was, it was different. Old Todd has some fuzzy logic. You can look at it two ways. He's either giving them a load of bullshit and lying or he, he doesn't, blacked he out doesn't, he and, doesn't and know and the like details because he wasn't there. Right? You know, when you're in the midst of a really intense blackout and you had like a five hour energy drink before the blackout. And when you reflect on the moment the next day, there's like you flash in and out of memories from I, your blackout. Honestly, I like actually that, that's don't what know happened that. to Todd. I don't I don't know that actually. Me neither. I just 
saw it in a <laughs> Just movie. Just a, a guy you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, investigators then told Todd that even if he did black out, he would still remember snippets of the night. So that investigator knows what's up. I mean, he's yeah. he's 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 blacked <laughs> out with a with an energy drink, just like uh, Jonah's uh, friend did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So just under three hours into the interview, Todd asked for a cigarette and then walked out, followed by investigators. A short seven minutes later, mind you, off camera. Right. It's dramatic. Right? So the 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 video. When they get up and, and leave, the only thing that you're watching is an empty room. Okay. So the investigators didn't have body cams or anything like that, which totally normal. I mean, that's that's not abnormal. They just followed him, right? And when they came back in, you know, so not of course not knowing what if and what was said out. Right. Out Seven the minutes smoke, right? of history have occurred off camera. Right. Yeah. So. A short seven minutes later, Todd and the investigators came back in, and something was definitely different. Todd said he was beginning to see pictures from that night. So his little energy drink flashbacks. Oh, okay. okay. See, all right. Yeah, his little five-hour flashbacks, yeah. we call them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I've heard them called. Right. Yeah. Sure. And I, I'd like to point out that Jonah doesn't read the script ahead of time, and neither do I. So this is... This is truly a coincidence. Apparently, it, this is very common. <laughs> very, yeah, it's so definitely a, a part of the show for those who don't know. I, 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 I'm sorry that we keep saying for those who don't know, like a bunch of assholes up here. But I know we yeah. the person telling the story, the other person doesn't know the story. So I have I've never read any of this. I don't know the story at all. Blind reactions. Yeah, right? these are yeah. that's that's part of Midwest murder. Is that you're getting an organic reaction from the listening person? Yes. And sometimes I guess I go beyond active listening. Back to you. It's true. Oh, thank you. May I go? Is oh. that all right? <laughs> Okay. It's your turn again. Thank you. Thanks. So with those pictures that he was, those little flashbacks. And again, this is 26 years later, right? I mean, it's not like you're on an acid trip. I mean, it's, it's, I would like, I, I forgot what happened yesterday and things are coming back in flashbacks. Yes. I mean, so 26 years later from a night you were shit faced and yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, you gotta, you gotta give the guy a little bit of credit there. So he began to change his story, though. Quote, I'm getting these little pictures in my head, and I think it was, it was Terry. I remember, I remember puking, and for some reason, puking comes into my head. And at this point in the interview, he starts crying. And he said he thought it, they may have hit a deer, but thought now it could have possibly been Jeffrey Hamill. Oh. Going back in the crime scene, there did not appear to have been any vomit at the scene, there was nothing found. Nothing would indicate vomit. Part of that I also have to to bring up, like it's 1979, right? So crime scene investigation is very different. But, I mean, a, a pile of puke is a pile of puke, right? So, I mean, we, we, we see it. But he didn't mention where it was. He didn't mention if it was in the grass. He didn't mention if it was on the road. I, I mean... That, for me, that's a tough comparison or a, or a tough way to corroborate his story. It, it is a tough way to corroborate his story, but I could see him getting out of a vehicle in which they hit this poor guy and seeing his the, the his body and puking sure. and remembering that in, yep. in these flashbacks. Yep. But did they hit him? Right. Because no, it was evident by autopsy, everything, Jeffrey had not been hit by a vehicle. So modern forensics are saying, we don't believe this man was ran over by a vehicle or hit by a vehicle. That's Correct. what we're getting. Okay. In the words okay. of the, something that I didn't put in here, in the words of the investigators, they they basically kind of threw the, the, the bullshit flag and said, 
ah, I don't know that you hit him. And if you did hit him, you didn't hit him very, very hard. End quote. With a vehicle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's iffy there. But when the investigators asked more questions, Todd continued to answer their questions with just a simple answer. Quote, I think so. He didn't commit to any answer. It was just, I think so. Then in a whisper, he said, I want to be sure. So the investigator then, then said to him, quote, tell us what you think that you're, tell us what you think is sure. And we'll work with that. Tell us what you think happened and we'll work with the details. Okay. Yeah. They're really working Todd here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're, they're starting to get something. And I mean, those are, those are, you know, interrogation techniques, right? I, I mean, I, I like that's, we started in 1979, we're in 2005, right? So things, police work has changed. Investigative work has changed. Yeah, it's evolved for right? sure. Yeah, for sure. So still not getting very far. Todd said, quote, I could just say what you want me to say. It was Terry and him, but I don't think that's justice. Him, meaning Ronald Michaels. Okay. The investigator said specifically and clearly and multiple times, that is not what they wanted. They didn't want him to just say roll over and okay. say, like, yeah, whatever. So after four hours into the interview and being repeatedly asked, quote, who killed Jeff Hamill? Todd pointed to a picture of Ron. And when asked who, kill, who helped kill Jeff Hamill, Dale mumbled, Terry. Then crying, he said, I think it was him and Terry. But the interview was not over, and it continued. So the investigators asked him, quote, is there any doubt as to the location where this happened? Todd replied, there was a little, quote, there was a little bit of doubt in my mind, yes. Can I be absolutely sure? No, I cannot be absolutely sure. So, like, this is the first time that he's clearly said, you know, yes, this, this is, is how it is, but I can't, I can't be certain. It's really wishy-washy. Well, and uh, can you imagine, I mean, we've talked about this many times, many times before. Can you imagine being the guy who has to sit down and interview 26 years later, you're getting raked over the coals, that I, I I mean I'm starting to I don't want to like, be raked over the coals about what happened last week, let alone <laughs> right, twenty six right, flipping right. years ago during a five hour energy blackout, exactly, whatever it was. Exactly. I mean and and because times of, were different. Because of this podcast, I now put ev- absolutely everything in my calendar. What I wore, everything. It's affecting the social skills. But um, <laughs> but I am not going to be Dale Todd someday. <laughs> yeah. So with my phone as my witness, <laughs> I know. yeah, see, I, I pinged off of that tower. I was absolutely on my phone. I was not committing murder. See, I pinged. This happened. So as, as the interview progressed, Todd began to remember more information from that night, which to which I say, Oh, really? Of course you do. Uh, but yeah, it checks out. Yeah. He said, quote, I, I see Terry hitting somebody and this guy here had something in his hand End quote. He continued and then said that Terry told him they had just beaten Jeffrey up. Thinking the investigators had physical evidence, Todd said, science will take over now. Forensics. I watch the show all the time and it's amazing what they can do. <laughs> really? That's, that was, all right, my closing argument is I watched CSI. And now that I've fed you all of the details, you can science the shit out of this and right. find that I'm not guilty. Right. What if this guy's... Pushing them in the direction. Well, could be, well, but I don't think I don't, he's smart. I don't, I don't think okay. he's smart enough. Uh, yeah, it's maybe I'm giving old Todd 
you're giving credit. him too much credit. Uh, but also, uh, we should we should also point out the time frame here. It was 2005, right? Yeah, CSI was like a big deal, yeah. right? And it's it was it's, everywhere. You know, it was new you know, still. Crime it was scene new investigation. Then. Yeah, it was very new. Yeah. yeah, true crime podcasts weren't. I don't even know if they yeah. were a thing yet. It was still all very new. Well, in crime scene investigation, if you didn't have a flashlight, you weren't shit. I mean, you just like, you know, there weren't any lights that worked. If you were into true crime in 06, it's because you were fucking reading. Like, good on you. Well, reading or watching CSI and those things. (laughs) I mean, which... Planting those early seeds. (laughs) Right. So, the only problem was with this is that there wasn't actually any physical evidence. Oh, you mean they didn't... Oh, the bat. Oh, that magical bat. bat they brought up. Oh, Okay, I knew it. I knew it was funky. All right. It, it, it is funky. So did they, they ever have a bat? It. No. Oh. So these guys were just making shit up to get him to talk? Yeah, which I, I think... I can't believe an interrogator would ever do something like that. Well, it is interrogation technique, right? I mean, I think you stretch the truth to a point, but I also think that there's a point where there's a line, right? And lying and... and, and you know, you have to, you have to say that, right? I mean, you have to give that. I mean, we do that to our children when we're interrogating them, right? If they've, it's like, I, but I know what you did. I didn't know. I don't know what you did. I have no idea what you did, but I know what you did because they have no idea. Uh Right. But lying about physical evidence, I feel like that's where there's that line, but I can't be, I can't be certain. Yeah. You're crossing a line there for sure. You're crossing a line. I can't wait for the comments on this one. But uh, but that's that's what I think. I, I feel like that's I feel that's shady. I completely support, you know, interrogation techniques of, of, of getting that those facts out of someone. Shit, but yeah. if but if you're but if you're completely lying about physical evidence, I mean, this guy just said, hey, I watch that. I watch forensic shit all the time, man. Like, I mean, he thinks that he's going to get off this. He, he thinks that forensics are going to show that he had no nothing to do with it. It's, it's not an easy job, and I, I don't envy it, but we have seen a lot of situations in which uh, interrogation efforts were Shady. abusive or malicious Shady, yeah. or mischievous yeah. or deceitful, and I, I, I think at some point they have crossed lines, the Milgard sure. case and in other yeah. ones, and, yep. And, yep. and I think lying and fabricating that you have evidence, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are legally. I don't know, but right. I feel like that's against the rules. Maybe. I have a feeling during the Q and A we'll hear about it. Um, But, but I, I mean, I, there is, there, there does have to be a line, uh, I I would think. But so just as the interview was ending, Dale Todd's wife called Todd answered in front of the investigators and immediately said he should seek help and quote, see a shrink. Uh, Why didn't she say he should see a lawyer? (laughs) That's actually, that's actually the shrink at this point. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's a part of your defense, but tell your man to see a lawyer. Well, so they were together for a long time in this, in this interview room. And they were saying he, he talked a lot about his mental health issues, right. And really going kind of back and forth. And at one point even, you know, admitted and then signed an affidavit that he was uh, addicted to painkillers. Oh, okay. So definitely struggling on the Layers, mental health yeah. part. So yes, he should quote, see a shrink and also Jonah quote, see a lawyer. And I mean, because maybe it's, go to rehab. Yes. Yeah. So he then told his wife, if Terry Olson and Ronald Michaels had done it, the investigators would quote, throw something at him since he was there, which I, I feel like his gut feeling is spot on. I, I'm, I'm thinking of that. Of course it is. Well, and if you're there, you're, 
You're a part of it. You're there. If you didn't stop it, you're a part of it. It's it's one of those things. That, I, I think that's beyond go- guilty by association at it, that point. It, it is. And it's just one of those things my parents said to me a lot growing up, like, watch out who you're hanging out with. If you're hanging out with somebody that does some bad things, that could blow back on you. You could be an accomplice to that. It was just one of those weird things my parents told me about. And so what you as did As you're was, wandering out there making friends, you know. You then were the one doing shady shit. I see. I know oh, how it is. Oh, no. I know how it is. Anyway. Uh, so the, the sad part and the interesting part is that Dale Todd did not realize that the entire interview could be used as an admission of guilt or confession. Yeah. And it was. So... It wasn't long before charges for the murder of Jeffrey Hamill came down for the three individuals that were among the last to be with him. So they charged all three men. All three according of them. According to mostly his interview here. Okay. Yes. And they had, you know, the, the evidence, there was no physical evidence as we, as we discussed. However, they did have circumstantial evidence. And I was re, as I was reading the, the court opinion, it was fascinating because it's it's case law that, uh, and I actually wrote it down here. Circumstantial evidence carries the same weight as direct evidence, which I think that's 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 a, in and of itself a, a a conversation because when when you see a case that is just based on circumstantial evidence, you question it, right? You think, oh, I mean, that's someone's opinion, or or at least you you give it a little more thought than you would if if you know, someone's CSI DNA is, you know, right there and they've got it, you know? So this case was built entirely on circumstantial evidence and this one guy's interview. Sort of questionable, slightly maybe questionable interview. And I think it's interesting in some of the times when there is circumstantial evidence is that there are at least timelines to back it up and there are like lack of alibis where no one can say you were somewhere else at this time, right? You can can say you weren't there, but you don't have anybody else to back that up. So yeah, circumstantial evidence has certainly been used to prosecute other people we've covered on Midwest murder many times and many times over. And it's it's surprising every time. It it often surprises me. But this, this quote, from this uh, from this case, it was case law. They actually cited a case for it. It stuck with me because it's like, yeah, it, it in a court of law, it does carry the same same weight as direct evidence, which I still think it's strange to say it carries the same weight. But certainly I've again, we've seen it used to sure. prosecute. Yeah. So court was a shit show. Interesting, okay. <laughs> to say the least. The trial of Ronald Michaels, who was a Minnesota state bureaucrat. At this point, 26 later. Yeah, wow. He was, on, he was on medical leave. He, his, his trial was first. Dale Todd made a deal to testify against the other two for a lesser sentence, which, duh. Yep, I, mean, I, I we, felt like we, that was coming. Okay. Yeah, yep. for sure. Yep. The state forensic pathologist, Dr. Janice Amatuzio, testified to her own findings after reviewing the original autopsy and all of those documents. In response to the chief chief deputy on scene that night, the one that was claiming there wasn't any or there weren't any defensive wounds or or defensive indications, sure, she disagreed. So yes, science does prevail. I feel like, but uh, especially right. especially twenty six years later, she showed photos of wounds on Jeffrey Hamill's wrists that, in her opinion, showed quote defensive type injuries. So he had a couple of abrasions, and. It was there, right? Okay. But if you get a couple blows to the head, 
how do you defend yourself, right? If you're knocked unconscious, you can't really defend yourself. Oh, your your arms are just going up in whatever right. way. But if you're knocked on, if yeah. you're well, until you before that point, right? Yeah. Yep. So the her her opinion is that yes, there are defensive type injuries. So then, also in her opinion, there was no way his death was an accident. Clearly, she disagreed with the undetermined classification of death. So what she thinks happened is is that he was hit on the head a couple of times, hit a few times, and then when he was knocked unconscious, he fell back, and that's when he hit his head, causing the skull fracture. And uh, you know, okay, yeah. This, so uh, potentially, it's a really interesting theory and even one I feel like I've seen play out in a movie where uh, a fight happens and breaks out and somebody does not have the intent to kill somebody else right. but strikes a blow so hard they fall back yep. land in a way that results in their death and that's that's kind of what I almost fell in the shower the other day and I was like this is how people die I mean so I it's I was gonna I was gonna hit my head on the on the faucet and Fall to my death. Listen, That's- I exit the shower really slow because I'm a very afraid of that. Thanks, Final Destination. Yeah, I, just all of it. It's, yeah. So it seemed that this case was stacking up against Ronald Michaels. The star witness, of course, is none other than Dale Todd, and he took the stand. His testimony was only solidifying that case stacking up. So Todd testified that the three drove towards Buffalo on Highway 12 on the same road Jeffrey had begun walking home. Obviously, he had more memories of this. When they came upon Jeffrey walking, they stopped and pulled in front of him. Olson and Michaels argued with Hamill after getting out of the car. Of course, Dale Todd stayed. He didn't. He didn't. He stayed inside the car. And then after they were arguing, Olson pushed Hamill. Olson then opened the trunk to find a baseball bat, hockey skates, because it is, of course, Minnesota, a broom ball stick, and a crowbar. Oh, man. After about five or ten minutes, Michaels and Olson returned to the car with Michaels saying, quote, Hamill wouldn't need a ride home. Todd then drove the three back to the party, and he claimed that he, quote, might have, might have called 911 to tell police that there could be a person on the road. So still remembers a bunch of new details, doesn't know if he did that last thing. Right. Yeah, the flashbacks are really... I'm sure they're hard, yeah. And then it unraveled. When Todd was pressed about his interview with investigators, he completely crumbled. He said, quote, I didn't do this, we didn't do this. What? When asked why he said it, he said, quote, because I didn't want to go to jail for something I didn't do. So he got up there in trial and said... Holy shit, I didn't do this. Nobody did it. And I was feeling pressured like they were going to. Wow. Okay. Ronald Michaels was acquitted. Wow. Along came Terry Olson. He was offered a plea, but he said no because he wasn't guilty. He had, he was going to take it to trial. I'm not guilty. Okay. They allowed Dale Todd's testimony. So the same one in, in the same case with the third person, they said, You know, they're like, oh, well, clearly uh, he's lied, all that stuff. They allowed his testimony in the new trial for Terry Olson. That I don't get. I would actually love to discuss this with with somebody in the in the criminal justice system, because that is how does that how does that happen? How did the guy crumbles on the stand in a related thing? I mean, it was obviously thrown out of some sort. I mean, right. Or allowed, you know, but I want to I want to know the reasons as to why the bureaucrat, mind you. 
Right. So he, was, maybe he was on a, medical leave. May, maybe a person with connections. Is that fair to say perhaps Ronald um, Michaels was connected? I don't know. Okay. I mean, I would feel, I, I mean, if, if, if what's his face crumbles on the stand, I mean, that has nothing to do with what the, with the other what's his face being. Uh, no, a, a it's just interesting that uh, I guess Todd's uh, testimony and interview could somehow not lead to a conviction of Michaels. And here we are with Terry Olson and it is a conviction. Right. Yes. What's the difference yeah, no, between the, Terry the, Olson and, and Michaels? That's it, my question. How, why did they that, allow it? I don't know. Maybe Michaels, if he's a bureaucrat, to me that speaks to him being a prominent figure in the community. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions. I think I, I think that's a conclusion jumping. Okay. I think so. I don't think it has Fair. anything to actually do with it. I think what happened was the prosecuting attorney asked Dale Todd to recant his recant, which is weird to me. But All right. Also for this one, the jailhouse informants came out in droves. Oh, yes. So Terry Olson has been in jail before and made some friends. Yep. He wasn't a str- he wasn't a stranger to some trouble. Oh, uh, he was incarcerated for assault around the time of the indictments. Okay, and people again, who were in jail with him came into yes. the trial and said they heard him talk about the murder. Right. They, they said, yep. "Yeah, yep. he told." Okay. Just because you beat somebody up again, it does not mean you're a murderer. Correct. However, didn't mean you, you know, intended on murder. Right. So it's, you know, there's obviously they have science to prove and, and trends and all that stuff and forensic psychology to show that that does typically lead to that. But, but yes, it was definitely that, that definitely had some, some weight. And some of the informants were not just your average criminal. Like these were some bad dudes. Okay. Um, and they also didn't. According to the prosecuting attorney's office, they did not receive anything in return. So they had nothing to gain. Nothing to gain. All right. Yep. But who knows? Legally. Legally. I mean, they probably yeah. got money put into their commissary nope. or something. Nope. They said okay. no, no, uh, no. Um, Some extra smokes. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Something. <laughs> so Terry Olson was convicted of murder, though. So apparently after the trial, Dale Todd... This guy keeps like he just doesn't go away. Sent a letter requesting. He sent a letter to the court requesting to recant his testimony. So let me let me just put this put this out there. So he wanted to recant his recanted recant. And of course, I, I said he was wishy washy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty pretty accurate. Uh, he claimed that he was quote afraid to go to jail for life. For something we did not do. So he keeps saying we did not do. Right, I know. What's this we shit? So when attorneys, because they humored it, and they're like, okay, well, if we've put away the wrong person, obviously we need to do something about it. When attorneys went to speak with him, he wouldn't talk. I really appreciate their diligence on that matter. Well, you, because you could have sure you, you told yes. him to just go get bent at yes. this point. Like, you're an idiot. Like, what, okay. is, what is wrong with you? They tried, and he said that he wouldn't talk. Apparently, he did not want to recant his recanted recant. So, Gotta draw the line somewhere. I guess. Olson, being the only one convicted, had a long road of appeals ahead of him. His team filed appeal after appeal and ultimately even went, uh, even when the, the Court of Appeals upheld his sentence, they were prepared to take it before the Supreme Court after he'd already served nine years behind bars. So in a ray of hope, their appeal wasn't denied, but it was requested that they change a couple of portions. They suggested that Terry's team resubmit it. It made the prosecutor's office re-examine things, 
because, and I don't want to say panic, but they definitely took a closer look at things okay. because they they wrote him a letter and, and, and said that they were ready to make a deal. It was far from exoneration, but it was a release. There were conditions, though. Wright County State's Attorney's Office offered to release Terry immediately because he had served 130 months. In the letter, they said this was, quote, four years longer than Mr. Olson would have most likely received under the 1979 parole matrix. Again, he would not be exonerated, but he would be resentenced. So if he wanted to clear his name, he wouldn't be able to. So basically what that means is you can't sue us. Upon his release, Terry Olson said, I realize that there are mistakes made in the judicial system, but it's disappointing that it's so excruciatingly hard to correct those mistakes. He's not, I mean, he's not wrong about that. No, no. But I- so here's, so, I mean, there are absolutely zero winners in a case like this. Zero. So he did nine years. He did nine years. And, and that was basically credit for time served. And you can't sue us, but we're willing to release you because your habeas corpus def- uh, uh, appeal was about to, to go through. And what about Dale Todd? He, that was it. He took the plea I mean, deal plea and, and yeah. was not convicted for anything. Mm-mm. I mean, I, I think he served a little bit of time, but that was, but that was it. But because they had his, they had his, you know, recanted times three testimony which, you know, just a, a bunch of baloney at that point. But, but again, there, there Seems are like such a strange half measure. I, and there are, again, there are zero winners in this, in a case like this, because you've got this, this family who has mourned their, their brother, father, son for how long. Right. And so they finally are thinking that they're going to be able to see some justice only to have, Dale Todd come in and be like, yes, maybe not, but yes, but it's, no, it's, it's but like yes. an appetizer of justice. Right. It's, but it's, but not a very fulfilling one. No, it's like, hmm, that was not, it, that was not that good. But again, no, but nobody has been held accountable now for the death, death of Jeffrey Hamill. Nobody even, is quote guilty of it. Guilty of it. Even though they, they're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get your time served, but it just, it, the whole thing just feels it, it feels super icky. Mm-hmm. They somehow or another, he was new. That That's what, what really makes me sad about this is that he met some new friends and went to a party with them and went, went to go party with people who were more or less strangers. And somehow that cost him his life. And, and, was, and, and, you know, got into, got into a scuffle and was like, all right, I'm done. I'm walking home. And you disengage from the scuffle. You, in in theory, we of course don't really know what happened, but theoretically, yeah, found himself in a bad situation. Tried to leave from it, and the trouble came and found him, right. and he ended up dead. Yeah, and if if Terry Olson didn't wasn't actually a part of it, he also gets some injustice. Right. If Terry you Olson know? is. Innocent, if he's, if he's in innocent, fact, innocent, yeah. yep. he served he was, nine years behind bars was, for something he, he didn't do. Delta shit sandwich. And I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah. hard to know which of these three was involved or not, but I'm, I'm with the forensic scientist who said it was, this is not a case of somebody getting ran over. Perhaps it was an accidental death. I'll, I'll give right. him that maybe, right. but this, 
Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't, I don't know. Feels, it's, it feels icky, man. This the, is, the it, it's, it, it's really infuriating that it seems like you, you, you probably had the guilty parties right there in your hands yeah. and couldn't get a straight story. Couldn't connect the physical evidence. There was probably physical evidence. I don't have a lot of faith in the sheriff that originally quote unquote investigated the story. He didn't do the future of this case any favors by, by collecting zero physical evidence. I don't know, hair fibers from the car, something. You yeah, but it was, you, but it was, you 19, had the it was I know you didn't even know that shit existed. It yet. was, so, it was 19, 1979. There but were again, still people in 79 that had the foresight to be like, hey, this is something I found in a potential crime scene. Let me just baggy this and we'll see what happens in the future. But, but we're it, and we're also but we're dealing with 1979 in a super small county. To, yes. You know, fair. Very right? fair. Where they have likely not had the experience you know, that, that others have, unfortunately. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing yeah. that individual didn't probably have a lot of murder investigations right. under their belt at that point. And yeah, and yeah forensic technology had a long ways to come, yeah. but it still is. Well, I think it's important it that we remember that though. It's it, but it does not wrap it up into a bow. That's for sure. No, there's all these situations where you think right. something makes sense and you've got it all tied up and like, Oh yeah, you got ran over. He's on a highway. He was drunk and look mm-hmm. at how beat up he was case closed. We've got this. Yeah. So resources for tonight's case, The People's History, menlawyer.com. It was an article by Mike Mosdale, Star Tribune, article by Conrad DeFeber, September 20th, 2003, article by Heron Marquez Estrada, September 23rd, 2009, Herald Journal, article by Linda Jensen, August 27th, 2007, Care 11 News. Uh, It was an article by Emily Havoc. That was the interview with Dale Todd. They actually had the video of of that entire investor uh, interview with him. The, a big portion, a really big portion of tonight's case came from the Court of Appeals documents, um, as well as some information from the Innocence Project because they did get involved with Terry Olson's release. Wow, okay. Yeah. So um, check out our merch store. You can find the link on any of our social media or tpublic.com slash store slash Midwest Murder. Don't just go search Midwest Murder in tpublic. You will never find it. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review on whichever platform you find us, Midwest Murder, on. A big thanks to everyone who has. We really appreciate it. And Midwest Murder is hosted by this guy, Joan Alanto. This, this guy, the guy, the guy <laughs> and Don Palumbo produced by the good talk network. This episode was written by me and uh, thank you so much for listening and for your support. Thank you. Roosevelt park zoo, our biggest show ever. Thank you. Thank you.